Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Lara Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. So welcome to another episode of the Fishers of Men podcast. Uh, today we are talking with a Sarah Margaret Babs. Or, do you prefer to go by Sarah Margaret or just Sarah? That's fine. I've just started doing that recently. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I like, well, as a three-name person, I like to be sensitive to that. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for talking to us. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So thank you for having me on your show. I am originally from New Jersey, and I was born there and lived there uh, till I was about five, and then I moved to Pennsylvania. I live in Indiana right now, and just outside Indianapolis. I'm married to my husband, Eric. We've been married for eight years. We have three kids, six-year-old daughter named Maggie, and then we have three-year-old twin girls, excuse me, a boy and a girl, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Mary, Kate, and Charlie. So we have three kids, six and under. We're pretty busy. Um, So I've been writing for most of my life. I started writing when I was like probably eight or nine years old. I had these little notebooks that I would just like scribble ideas into and like, you know, write little poems and stuff. Basically been writing ever since. And I started blogging in 2008. Yes, it was 2008. So almost almost 10 years. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And I actually write a lot about being Catholic. And I also write a lot about kind of growing up without my mom. And then my other passion is like social justice and social issues and kind of looking, talking about those in a particularly like faith context. So I guess that would be kind of a broad overview of who I am. Yeah. And your blog is called Fumbling Toward Grace. And I definitely have followed it for a long time I can't even remember when I started <laughs> reading your blog and your post oh um, cool but yeah I I really do love your writing and I wanted to have you on to talk about growing up without your mom and the ways that that has impacted your faith and your relationship with God, because I think it's really interesting, especially in the Catholic world, sometimes we tend to idolize motherhood a little Mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. For those of us who maybe don't have, I mean, I have a great, I have a great relationship with my mom. I just want to get that out in case my mom listens. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, but for our listeners uh, who maybe don't have a good relationship with their mothers or aren't able to have their mothers here on earth with them or those of us, which I include myself in this, that we're not able to be mothers yet, even though we want to, it can sometimes be really, really challenging. Cause I know that I feel really like rootless and like, I don't have a real vocation and I'm not like, I don't even really have an identity sometimes. How could you tell us a little bit about growing up without your mom and how that impacted your relationship with God? I'll just give a brief backstory, but my, so my mom actually converted to Catholicism when she was a young adult. She was in her, she was around 20 
and um, had a near-death experience. And she, in the aftermath of that, was interested in Catholicism and decided to do the RCIA program back in the in the late 70s or whatever it was called in the late 70s, but decided to convert and join the church. So when she married my dad, he was Catholic from birth. So I was, you know, obviously baptized Catholic and they brought me up Catholic until my family fell apart. So uh, when I was young, I was about five, we moved in with my grandparents. My mom and dad split up and my mom got sick. So the, she had kidney problems. So it was a kind of a, she had a transplant and then the transplant lasted for about 11 years and then she needed another one. So that was kind of the the way that her body just kind of started to shut down for her. So she actually passed away when I was seven and she was 32. And that was really, really difficult, obviously, for me and for my grandparents who I was living with. And my dad kind of was around periodically for the next couple of years. And then by the time I was 12, he wasn't really around anymore. So I was really primarily raised from the age of like, five or six on by my grandparents, my mom's parents, who were not Catholic. Um, in fact, my grandfather was a agnostic and my mother, my grandmother was a lapsed Episcopalian. They didn't really go to church ever, but I did. So what's really interesting is that when my mom was dying, she asked my grandparents to make sure that I would be raised in the faith and be raised Catholic. Um, so they, they did that. They made sure I went to church every Sunday, either with one of them or with like neighbors who were Catholic. And I did Sunday school. I did all my sacraments and they just did that because that was what she wanted, which was a really powerful witness to me just of their love for her mm-hmm. because neither of them, I think were particularly invested in that, but they did it, you know, for her. So I think for me, like I, I went to church and I always kind of felt like church was special and I felt like safe there, which I sometimes didn't feel safe at home, but I didn't really feel like God cared about me a whole lot or like would be there, which I think like when you read about a lot of things about like children's ideas of God they're in their development, children's ideas of God usually come from their experience of being loved by their parents. Mm -hmm. That's like a child's parents are their first experience of God. Mm -hmm. So I was off to a pretty rocky start. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, I think that it was a very long process for me to see God as like someone who would actually be there for me, someone who actually cared about me as a person and not just like part of creation, you know, cause you hear about like God made us good and, and hear the creation story. And you know, on some level that like God cares about you as part of creation. Right. But to really have ownership of that and feel like God cares about you as Sarah mm-hmm. or God cares about you as Mary Ashley, like to get to that point was just really hard for me. Whereas I think maybe for someone who had a more stable home life, they might've felt that more earlier in life. I guess I don't really know, but mm-hmm. And I also feel like something I've always struggled with is connecting with God as father. It's better now, like as I've gotten to be an adult and really engaged with my faith more and just had some really healing experiences. I've been able to connect with God as father more, but even still today, I would say I really more will radiate towards Jesus and especially like the Holy Spirit and feel like that will be my primary kind of go-to when I pray 
or when I kind of think about who God is. Those are probably some of the biggest impacts. I feel like it's just that being able to see that God really cared about me or was like there. And another one too is also, I think a positive thing was seeing the, just the, like the impact of community. Mm -hmm. So seeing that, you know, every, I grew up in a very small town. Everybody knew that my mom died. The Catholic church, the priest was very kind to my family. You know, he was just a really good guy. And the older women at church would kind of take me under their wing and like, you know, kind of made sure that I was getting a seat and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there was a family across the street that would take me to mass with them with their four kids. And, you know, so there were definitely examples along the way of like a community kind of stepping in to care for this, you know, child who was essentially kind of an orphan in some ways. So that was also kind of impactful of my faith. And if I had a normal family growing up, I wouldn't have had that experience. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And so what role has Mary played a role, a significant role in your spirituality? Yes. But, but not always. Actually, it's really funny. When I was probably like 10, I watched that old black and white movie, The Song of Bernadette. Yeah. About Our <laughs> the Lady one where, where she's like, the water is as warm as dishwater. I always remember yeah. that it's, one. <laughs> little Bernadette is just beautiful. You know, and yeah. I watched that with my grandmother. I was like, on you know, on one of those old movie stations or whatever being like really drawn to that image of Mary and like just this little innocent girl who like Mary came to see and thinking that was pretty cool. But I also felt like most of what I saw of Mary was very hard for me to relate to. And I know I'm not alone in that. Mm -hmm. Like I think even for girls and women who like believe that she is the mother of God and believe that she's very important they don't see her as relatable. They see her as like other, like she's over here because she's this perfect sinless woman who is like up on this high pedestal. You know, the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins says she's our tainted nature, solitary boast (laughs) (laughs) and saying, putting her up there, which of course is, is good. And she belongs up there. But yet at the same time, I think that, women's spirituality could be really deepened by kind of bringing her off the pedestal a little bit to like engage with the real person. You know, she, she wasn't a a holy robot. I mean, she was like, (laughs) like a real person, you know? So as a kid, I felt kind of like drawn to her, but also kind of a little bit like repulsed at the same time because of how like perfect she seemed. Like, you know, like the women I knew in my life, like they weren't perfect. They like, you know, they wore shorts and they swore and they smoked cigarettes and they, you know, carried these really heavy burdens through life the best that they could, you know, and it was just like a disconnect there, but I was definitely attracted to Mary. I think for me, like the point when I really kind of connected with her was probably when I was newly married and I had, we actually lost our first baby to a miscarriage. And after that happened, a friend of mine introduced me to the devotion Our Lady of Sorrows. And it's a really beautiful meditation. It uses the same prayers as the rosary, but you meditate on each of the seven sorrows. So there's scenes from the passion, scenes of, from the life of Mary and Jesus from the passion. And that was really fruitful because it kind of allowed me to connect with her. Oh, this woman, that perfection thing is still there, but she suffered. She experienced deep grief and hardship and trauma and 
you know, I can, there's stuff here that I can relate to. So that was like a good doorway for me to connect with Mary in a way that was really accessible. Yeah, that's really great. I think part, partly it's that idealization of Mary that leads us Catholics to overemphasize mother slash daughterhood a little bit yeah. because uh, I know like one of my favorite quotes about Mary Thomas Burton said that we you can tell more about a person from what they say about Mary than anything actually about her because we project so much onto her it actually tells you more about the person who's speaking to you when they tell you their ideas about Mary yeah. that kind of just leads me to my next question is uh, in what do you feel like Catholics do overemphasize that relationship and, and why? <laughs> the relationship with Mary or motherhood? Just motherhood in general. Oh, okay. I do. But kind of when I was like writing down some thoughts, I was like, yes, ellipsis. <laughs> uh, yeah. Those are the best kinds of answers. <laughs> uh, I, I do think so. But I think that I think, and this might be somewhat controversial, but I think that sometimes Catholics overemphasize biological motherhood. Mm. I, I think they also kind of simultaneously underemphasize spiritual motherhood. I think that um, spiritual motherhood is sort of a, a somewhat more difficult concept maybe for some people to like, it's really an easy thing once you realize what it is, but it's the, the term I think can make some women be like a little put off by it. Especially I think sometimes that mother, like spiritual motherhood gets talked about primarily in relationship to nuns mm -hmm. and like sisters that like, oh, that's for nuns, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And for everybody else, there's biological motherhood, right? Because, you know, I think in our church, unfortunately, we still have this tendency to put people into this virgin or mother like these two boxes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in one box we have the virgins, that would be the nuns, and they get spiritual motherhood. In the other box we have the mothers and they get babies, right? So what do but, you mean when you actually say spiritual motherhood? Sure. So spiritual motherhood, like as far as I understand it, means being someone who is open to the possibility of spiritually caring for and nurturing others. So, you know, Anytime that you kind of have a friend who comes to you, being that person that she can say, I have questions about my faith or I'm doubting and, and know that you're going to be someone who's going to be there for her, that's being a spiritual mother, right? Going out of your way to serve people who are being left behind or who are being forgotten, you know, going out to the margins. As women, we are called to be nurturers. You know, John Paul II talks about a lot about that in Theology of the Body, which I'm not like 100% comfortable with, with everything in Theology of the Body, but I think that some of that makes sense to me. But I think sometimes the definition of nurturing is too narrow. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that there are a lot of things that people do that is nurturing and they may not even call it that or think of it that way. I consider my work for social justice to be motherhood in a, in a sense, because I'm nurturing, caring for, and kind of putting some part of myself into a hope of change for others or hope of a better life for others. And that's really like, as a mother, that's one of the big things that you do for your own children, your biological children is you pour yourself into them in hopes that they'll have a good life 
they'll be holy, they'll be happy, they'll make good choices, you know, they'll love God and love other people. Yeah, I just, I think that the church kind of, both the hierarchical church and like the, the kind of lay church, you know, the, the people that are church, overemphasize biological motherhood. And I think part of that is a response to some secular trends or secular voices about motherhood. I think part of it's a response to the pushback on the teaching about birth control. And so you, you have this dichotomy where large families get held up as this sort of like gold standard of Catholicism, which I, I don't buy into at all. The holiest family that ever lived had one child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, my husband and I, we experienced after we lost our first baby, we experienced over a year of, of infertility and trying to get pregnant again. And then we experienced some infertility after that. Mm-hmm. So I got to know some really beautiful, very wonderful Catholic women who have been just carrying the very heavy, heavy cross of infertility. And women in our church who are neither virgin nor mother are basically invisible. Yeah. And that, that is not okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's really like, that's where I just feel like if we just expanded our concept of motherhood to really dive into what spiritual motherhood is, we could really open up a space for every woman to be included and to be visible. Cause I think there's so many women that are just invisible and not just women who are married and don't have children, but women who want to be married and aren't, or women who are single mothers who feel, you know, embarrassed about being, you know, not married to the father of their child or divorced or whatever. There are just so many women who get left out when we have this really narrow definition of what the importance of motherhood is. And who that's open to. Yeah, definitely. I think, wow, you touched on so many, so many things there. (laughs) There definitely, I think, are huge swaths of women that feel invisible and kind of unserved. Mm -hmm. And we did an episode a few episodes back on infertility and mm-hmm. it's still one it's one of my favorite episodes and we've gotten really some really good feedback on it but that's one thing our guest talked about is struggling with that missing sense of vocation and the best answer that people in the church have given her is like oh well you don't have kids so you have time so you can be the one to come to the mm-hmm. church and babysit yeah. or mm-hmm. you know you can be the one that that's doing all these ministries and I think she felt like that advice was like, well, you get a consolation prize Mm -hmm. (laughs) of getting to do everything and being responsible for everything. Yeah. You're right. I think that if we valued the spiritual gifts more, not that the practical things don't need to get taken care of, but that's a totally, it's just a totally different way of thinking. I would add too, I think that we also tend to undervalue creativity in the church and that the creative process can be very much like birthing something. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and oh sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just and that's like just another aspect to it. Sorry, you you go ahead with what you're going to say. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say like that's perfect that you mentioned creativity because as you were talking, I was thinking like I have been meditating on the Annunciation just like so much lately. 
And I really feel that God calls us the way that he called Mary all the time, that he's coming to us and asking us if we will bear his word into the world, but in a lot of different ways. And I think like when you look at theology of the body and you're talking about women and gestating, you know, being pregnant, nurturing in terms of like breastfeeding, giving life, that these are concepts that absolutely apply physically, but they also apply spiritually. And I think God is calling us to gestate things into the world all the time. If we're open to seeing that, that like that calling is there and you don't have to be married to do that. You don't have to, you don't have to be anything other than yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And say, yes, Lord, be it done to me according to your word and open ourselves up to that. And, and he will kind of, yeah, give us his word in a lot of different ways. And maybe, you know, his word in you might be a book, his word in you might be a symphony. It might be, you know, any number of things, but you know, God is, we image God in our ability to create. That's the one thing that we can do. The animals can't do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Right? I mean, like, that's like the one thing that animals, I mean, animals don't write symphonies as far as I know. <laughs> like, I think we need to dive more into that. It's just, you're so spot on. We need to kind of recover that idea of creativity as life-giving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and but also valuing the struggles that come along with it and how it can be a, a really tough journey to, yeah. to create something. It's full of self-doubt and mm -hmm. full of criticism from lots of other people that don't really know how much you, I mean, right. th there are a lot of parallels. And I think, especially for those of us who, you know, like me, I'm single, wish I was married, wish I could be a mother and I'm not. And yeah. it really is important to get your own sense of vocation. And that is one way in which one of many ways in which I feel jealous of mothers is because it's like, but your vocation's right in front of you and you just know exactly what to do because, you know, it's like there's a dirty diaper and you just know you need to change it. And so it's like, at least you have that comfort of knowing. Whereas I feel like I am just always constantly in flux and self-doubt of what I'm supposed to be doing. But I also have friends that are mothers that say, you know, it's really not that simple and everybody needs their sense of personal vocation. <laughs> if you feel like that's the end all be all of existence to change dirty diapers, you're ultimately going to feel unsatisfied. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was a stay at home mom for five years for the first five years of my daughter's life, almost, almost five years. I just started working and I wrote during that time, but not with any regularity, my blog was really a hobby. It was just something I did when I had a little extra time. Um, it was a little bit of an outlet. But I actually also work now part-time. Um, I'm a fertility care practitioner with um, Creighton Model Fertility Care. So I spend about 20 hours a week work actually working. So for me, that was something I just needed. I just I could not fulfill my, my vocation as the church understands it of being a wife and a mother without fulfilling the part of myself that's the way God made me that needs to be with other people and help them. So, you know, my teaching um, fertility care is a form of spiritual motherhood. 
it's a form of, you know, for me, it's very much a, a feminist act because I'm helping women understand their bodies and be empowered to be involved in their own reproductive health care and know what's going on. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing those things that are important to me and writing it. Th those are all parts of the way God made me to be and the expression of them and, you know, kind of the space for them is part of my vocation. And I think I spent a lot of years very unsatisfied and very unhappy and spiritually very dead because I thought I should be 100% fulfilled through changing the dirty diapers and making the dinners. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but those are actually to me, like not the heart of my vocation. Anybody can change dirty diapers and make dinner, right? Part of, for me, the heart of my vocation is the relationship with my children and with my husband, being the person who can only be me to them. If that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. that that's a big part of it. So I feel then I I'm able to kind of let go of some of the other stuff to create, we have a babysitter a couple of days a week so I can work and you know, we order takeout a lot. Um, <laughs> I can kind of let go of some of that stuff so that I can express the parts of myself that are who God made me to be that are just as important. Something that's frustrating, I think, for me when I get together with women or meet women and, you know, if you go to like a Catholic event or something and the first thing they, they ask you about or, or want to talk about is, well, you know, how many kids do you have? How old are you? they? And it's kind of like that's where the conversation stops. And I love my children dearly. I, I mean, they're tremendous, but they are their own people. And they are not the most interesting thing about me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they yeah. might be the most magnificent, <laughs> but they're not the most interesting or the only interesting thing about me. Like, you know, one thing I loved about being at the conference in Notre Dame was just that people, when you met them, they would ask you, oh, what are you working on? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what, what do you, what's your art, basically? And having women have space where they can also be an artist and a mom and a wife, like that's very freeing. And then for women who want to be moms and wives who aren't yet knowing, like I can completely own an identity as an artist and that is a vocation and that is good. And even if I'm an artist only for the rest of my life, it's good. Right. And it's holy. And that's what God has made me to be. It's just, it's very empowering. Right. And kind of freeing. Yeah. Uh, Cause I spent, many, many years of my life totally denying that I had any sort of vocation to anything artistic. And and God like really had to push me into it. Mm -hmm. In those years, I basically was in pre marriage prep <laughs> kind of like like yeah. I was like, well, I kinda hate my life and I'm really bored. So I guess I'll create wedding Pinterest boards like oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you yeah, know like yeah. I, I guess yeah. I, I might as well go ahead and make some decisions now about like what I want in the future but I was totally living in like an alternate reality it, or, or like I, I was like oh well, like I might as well learn to bake bread now and like learn to dehydrate food and you know like learn try to learn about sewing and like every sewing machine I've ever touched just breaks. Like I just yeah. can't do it. And I felt yeah. like I was yeah. failing. And yet like I was, I was ultimately just kind of playing life mm -hmm. and instead of really like, a I mean, I was actively running away from what God was speaking to me. Like, cause I was having this thing where I would lay down at night and hear dialogue in my head. 
and yeah. like hear characters talking and eventually I pursued it, but it took me a really long time. I think I still have traces of that a little bit where I I had these moments where I'm like, but like, wouldn't I be more worthy or more valuable if I were married and had kids and, you know, like m- maybe this is all just like illusion or, you know, because uh, there are some people on the more right side of the spectrum in our church that even say like, oh, women are really selfish if they're having a career instead of going out and getting married and having kids. And these are just like selfish career women that are like, basically mm-hmm. our society is going to collapse because of them. And so I heard that message for a are long there time. selfish career men? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Are there, or are they, are they exempt from that? No, I think they're <laughs> the ones upholding society. Oh, okay. Okay. Now yeah. it all makes it's perfectly clear. <laughs> but yes, I've heard that before. And frankly, used to kind of be when I was like trying to convince myself that I loved being a stay at home mom more than anything in the world. You know, I definitely kind of bought into that as a way to make myself feel better. Because deep inside, I knew I wasn't happy. And I thought, well, if I'm not happy, those miserable women with no kids, they must not be happy either. <laughs> uh, but I feel like I just, I don't know. I think we just have to ignore those voices mm-hmm. because they're not speaking for God as much as they might think they are. They're not, you know, and I think finding something that really I read once and it really just stuck with me is that, and it's been really true in my own life, being a child of God. So being like, you know, God's child and God's creation and, you know, being his is the only identity we'll ever have that can't be stripped away from us. Mm. Um, You know, you can be a wife or a husband and your spouse can die or you can get divorced. You can be a parent and lose a child. You can be a child and lose your parents. Um, You know, friends come and go, jobs come and go, but like being that child who belongs to God, like figuring out who am I as God's child and nothing else, like stripping it all away. That's the only identity we'll always have. You know, when we die and hopefully go to heaven, that's who we'll be. And so, you know, for me, it's been a real journey of trying to like peel back all those other layers. And I'm not even saying I'm like there, but it's just something I've become aware of is like, this is the goal I should be striving towards is to figure out who am I as Sarah, child of God with this soul that God gave me, you know, and, and really focusing on that as my calling, like our calling is to be ourselves, right? To be who God made us to be. And we can't do that if we don't know ourselves, right? So I just think that's like a huge part of it. And just being open to like God leading you into being yourself more, which is really scary. Yeah. (laughs) Cause you get the self doubt and you get the constant like, Oh, what are people going to think? That's crazy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, because there's no like clear cut path. But it's like, also, if you look at the lives of a lot of saints, like their lives didn't follow any sort of mold or clear cut path either. Yeah. And people thought that they were crazy. It's so, true. <laughs> but it's still really hard. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I think of like St. Therese and how, you know, she was just like, and I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with St. Therese. I hope you won't boot me off your show for saying that. Oh, no. <laughs> I think that her, like, 
theological truths and spiritual truths are like dynamite. They are rock solid. But like, I literally can't read anything she writes because I want to throw the book across the room because it's like this flowery 18th century prose that I just can't even handle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the actual like meat of it is amazing, right? Yeah. But she was so young. Like when you yeah. think about this, she was like 23 when she died. And she was a spiritual mother to millions, right? I mean, she's a spiritual mother to millions. So if you go back to that like place of saying, okay, well, how can I become the person God made me to be and be open to being like a spiritual parent to others? Anybody can do that. You don't have to be in a certain place in your life or a certain you know place at all or a certain age. It's, it's open to everyone at all times which has just been really freeing for me because my life is just not like when I was dating my husband, he went to see the spiritual director and he asked him about his girlfriend. That was me. And he told, he told him about me a little bit and he asked about my family and the priest was like, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't date her and you shouldn't marry her because she doesn't come from a good family and she's going to be really damaged. And I had never even met this person. You know, all he knew about me was the bullet points of the saddest parts of my life, right? And made this snap judgment. And I think in the church, like we become so like focused on checking off the right boxes. You got to marry a virgin or you got to marry this one. You got to marry somebody who's like, perfectly theologically accurate about everything all the time. And you have to marry someone who uses the right phrases and votes the right way. And all of these different things, we have all these boxes we have to check off. And I think it's really missing the core of like mercy and, and how God just walks with us through our lives, you know, like how God takes those crooked lines in our lives and writes straight on them, you know, and that for me, like, I think was really, powerful because I always felt like I was less than other Catholics because I had this like checkered past (laughs) (laughs) from a good family. But no, like, I mean, look at scripture and like everybody, (laughs) Jesus, Jesus's lineage is full of people with very horrible sins and scandals and prostitutes sleeping with their father-in-law. I mean, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's all there in the old Testament, you know, all that lineage. So I think, you know, kind of getting away from those boxes, it's just anytime we put people in boxes, we limit God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry to kind of go off on a tangent, but. <laughs> oh, no, like I'm right there with you. I think I even read a Catholic dating relationship book once and felt super depressed because it was talking about women who come from broken homes will not have satisfying marriages or something to that effect basically it was like if you know you grew up with your parents divorce which i did then uh you need to get to therapy right away which therapy is is invaluable like it's great right um but the overall message of the chapter was basically like that's a red flag warning sign to anyone looking for their future spouse and Yeah, you know, people who have divorced parents are not ever going to be able to really be married, and you know, think long and hard before you marry someone whose parents are divorced. And that was pretty harmful for me to read. Yeah, absolutely. Because already thinking like, 
already if you have like self-esteem issues and self-worth issues it's you know yeah. and like no question coming from you know having divorced parents does make things a little more complicated or or you know like any t- coming from any type of nuclear family situation that isn't right. the ideal you know everybody is going to have baggage and everything no question about it but um to kind of write someone off as not being worthy of marrying them it mm-hmm. yeah it really hurt me <laughs> Yeah, and I had, honestly, I hadn't really thought about that until you started saying that. So, yeah, yeah, that's. I'm sure that I'm not the only one <laughs> who's felt that. Yeah, I, I'm sure not. And I think like the fact that there aren't really a lot of places where you can like openly talk about these things is really also frustrating. Like your podcast is great because I feel like it's it's a good breath of kind of fresh air because people are talking more real real about things. But there aren't a lot of spaces where women can freely kind of talk about who am I, who am I as just who God made me to be? Mm-hmm. How is that going to unfold in relation to my vocation? Do I have multiple callings? You know, we might only be able to have one quote unquote state in life, married, single or religious, but we can have multiple callings, you know, and, and that. That I think is, you know, a big part of what's missing too, is this idea that like women can be multidimensional, you know, we're perennially having this conversation about whether or not women can work outside the home and have children, but yet we never have this conversation about if men can work outside the home and have children, can they handle it? I don't know. Can they (laughs) like, (laughs) do you know what I mean though? Like if, if our, if our family situations looked more if everyone did kind of split household tasks and did those things, then yes, everyone, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, it would be easier. Yeah. I mean, it's, so it's, you know, we're, we're having these conversations, but the reality is that only certain sections of our society, like only women are impacted by these conversations because men aren't being called, aren't being challenged out of their comfort zones. You know, women still do most of the childcare, even if they, and household chores, even if they work full time, you know, there was an article making the rounds about the mental load. I don't know if you saw. Oh, yeah, I did see it. That, yeah. You know, women in all relationships still bear the vast majority of mental load. Like those are things that impact our ability to have a frank conversation about can women, you know, can you have a vocation to be married and have children and also have a calling as an artist or a calling, you know, to be a doctor you know, because that's the other thing we need good Catholic doctors, right? And we need good, we need Catholics in every sphere. And why shouldn't we have women? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Because on one side of the conversation, there are people asking, like, but where are the Catholic blanks? Right. And then it's often kind of the same conversations that people start. Well, well, it's that that same like selfish career woman kind of right. talk, and yeah, that yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> why don't why don't we try to make it at least easier, a little bit easier for women to just to be the people that God created them to be? Right, um, <laughs> to calling, yeah. So, how uh, do you have any other sort of practical tips about you know how to focus on your identity? as a child of God, 
how to look for seeds of vocation in your life apart from the obvious ones? I guess, you know, I have to say that personally, my vocation kind of fell in my lap. So I met my husband when I was 23 and we actually met online. (laughs) I was living in Chicago as a teacher and I was doing like a Teach for America program and all the teachers in my school were women. So I signed up for Catholic match because I was like, well, maybe I can just, my roommates were women. I was like, maybe I can just like meet somebody to take me out for a drink or whatever. Cause I was just like, I have too much estrogen in my life right now. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't really looking for anything serious at all. I just knew if I went on Catholic match, I probably wasn't going to have someone try to, you know, have sex with me on the first date. So it was just a way of kind of weeding out some, some crazies and maybe got some other ones instead. But (laughs) so for me, I really thought I was going to be called to be a nun when I finished college. I was like investigating a couple of orders that do a lot of like service with the poor and kind of do some like social justice action. And then, you know, I had a breakup with a boyfriend. I was like, you know what, God, I am done with men. I was just like, if you want me to get married, like you're just going to have to like, you're going to have to like throw somebody at me because literally I just want like friends, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I met my husband like a month after that. <laughs> and he, like I was the first person he talked to on Catholic Match. <laughs> wow. And yeah, it was just one of those things we like immediately clicked. And I I never thought I have a vocation to get married. Now I just need to find a husband. I felt like I have a vocation to Eric, who is my husband. Mm. When I met him, I felt like God wants me to be with him. And so it was kind of a, you know, I always thought, wondered, well, maybe I'll get married. But it wasn't like a, oh, I'm definitely called to get married. Now I need to have to find my husband. I don't know if you can know your call to get married until you find someone that kind of sets off that, like, that bell for sure. And maybe you can. But at least my experience was that I wasn't really sure if I was supposed to get married until I met my husband. And he even said... By the time we didn't get engaged till we had been married for like, or until we had been dating for over a year, but by our fourth date, he was like, we went to church together and I came in late and he was like, I saw you come in late and I had a vision of us married with kids and he felt like that was it, you know, but we still went really slow in our relationship, but it was like, I think we both kind of felt pretty early on strongly that God had really brought us together, that God kind of had us for the other. So in a sense, I view my vocation as a vocation to him, not necessarily just a vocation to marriage. If that, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, so I think focusing on just trying to be the best person you can be. So like if you have an interest, explore it. And that's even if you're married. I mean, how boring would it be to be married to somebody whose only interest was you? I mean, yeah. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, like if you love something, keep doing it, do it more, dive more deeply into it. You know, what are the things you can't ignore? I feel like God speaks to us through the things we can't ignore, the things that come back to us again and again. Like you were saying, the laying awake at night, thinking of characters talking, like what can you not ignore? For me, it's like, I can't ignore injustice. And you know, what, what keeps you up at night? What moves you? These are all ways that God speaks to us to try to prompt us to 
turn towards those things to lead. They ultimately will lead us to him. Right. So I feel like those would be my like advice for someone who's trying to like kind of open themselves up to figure out what their calling might be to just kind of pursue any interests that they have or anything that really speaks to them. And don't necessarily think like, I'm going to, I'm going to turn myself into a wife. I'm going to become a pre-wife wife. wife. (laughs) What you're talking about, like, I'm going to like be like the best couponer. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, now if you, if you want a coupon just for yourself, now that's one thing if you love to coupon, but you know what I mean? Like, don't kind of think, Oh, what will a man love about me? And then do that because the man who will love you will love that you're passionate about what you love you know, that he'll look at you and say, Oh my gosh, your, your passion for this makes me love you even more. So that was a lot, but I guess that would be my advice. Um, well, just with everything that we've been talking about, I kind of want to talk about a project that I'm working on. Um, so I'm, I'm actually writing a book that I hope someone will publish (laughs) and um, the, it's about kind of actually using the life of Mary. I'm sorry, I have cut my foot. So I'm like, (laughs) um, it's about using the life of Mary and meditating on different scenes from her life. So it starts with kind of the beginning of her life and childhood and goes through the annunciation, visitation, nativity, et cetera, all the way through to the crucifixion of Jesus and then the resurrection. And it uses each of those as a frame to reflect on the woundedness of being female. And so looking at specifically kind of female wounds, I talk a lot about like evil and how in the beginning, like going back to Eden and kind of reflecting on how the, um, evil entered the world and that evil attacks us in our bodies and in our female bodies in order to get to our souls. And so kind of using like the frame of women's woundedness to go through and and see how Mary is actually someone who is intimately familiar with being a female because she was a female (laughs) and looking at that embodied reality and kind of reflecting on our own wounds, experience healing and transformation. For example, in the chapter on on the visitation, I'm going to explore relationships, particularly family and friend relationships and looking at like woundedness around families, um, toxic relationships, uh, narcissism, kind of particularly maternal abuse. I'm going to talk some about that. So that's kind of like a concrete example of something that could kind of be looked at through that frame. Um, under ministry, I'm going to talk about kind of church inflicted wounds. So not necessarily institutional church, although that too, but kind of also the ways that we as church have wounded each other and, you know, reflecting on that. So it's, and then the last chapter is resurrection and it's reflecting on yeah, how God so makes too. all things new well, and how uh, our wounds can really be transfigured through the power so of God. So I hope someone will publish it. to our podcast this has been another episode of fishers of men if you have any questions comments or feedback please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com we are also on facebook under fishers of men follow us on twitter at at la gone fishing or on instagram at fishers of men podcast there is an underscore after each word Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Larson Mary Sams. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time, keep swimming.